Good day. Welcome to the show. This is the Corey Morgan Show, and I am indeed Corey Morgan. Thanks for joining us today, guys, during these insane news times. That's the only way to put it. it you know, I we've, we've had a, such a, a plethora of news to cover lately. It's been kind of nice as having lots of stuff to write about or think about and talk about, but just so much of it's been dark lately. It gets tiresome, but we still have to keep covering it. We have to keep talking about it. We have to keep thinking about it because we'll never find solutions if we're afraid to take on the problems head on. And that's part of what we try to do here. Get on, talk about these things straight out. We don't sugarcoat things. We get right to the point, or at least I do. So uh, hang in there, guys. we got a lot to cover today. i got uh, Michelle Sterling of Friends of Science on. It's been a while since Michelle's been on. She's been a regular on my show. Always great when she gets on. And, of course, the latest COP plans. So we're talking, you know, UN climate-type organizations. Plans to phase out our fossil fuels. They won't give up. It doesn't matter how illogical their policies are or how badly it will hurt people. They are fanatical, and they'll carry on with it. As well, of course, we'll uh, have lots of news and things to talk about. And uh, unfortunately, we'll talk about some of the fanatical here right away. Good to see you there, John Winslow, joining in the comment scroll. And yeah, I like to remind people, use that comment scroll, send questions my way, talk to each other, do things like that. I, I, I see them all. I won't necessarily read them all out because we do have a busy packed show, but I appreciate seeing the activity there and just try to stay civil with each other. Okay, so I'm going to start with, with what's got me going today. So, you know, I was always on, I'm on X, I'm on Twitter, and I'm watching, I see the news stories as they come up, and here it comes, you know, a headline about a Canadian-born peace activist, Vivian Silver, and she disappeared from a, an Israeli kibbutz near Gaza during the Hamas terrorist attacks of uh, October 7th. You know, friends and family, they held out hope she was among the hundreds of uh, hostages taken by terrorists, and maybe she'd be released one day. Uh, unfortunately, those hopes were dashed, but in the evening of November 13th, CTV News released a story with this subdued headline stating, Canadian peace activist Vivian Silver, who went missing after the Hamas attack, has died. That's it. That is what the headline said. The purposeful understatement of the significance and circumstances of Silver's death enraged me and many Canadians, and the CTV has been getting roasted, as they should, ever since. They stubbornly left... The headline intact since then, though, and they won't edit it. Now, the way that headline was composed, it made it sound as if Silver had passed away from natural causes. It also simply said she was missing rather than possibly kidnapped. You know, maybe she just went for a walk and didn't come home. In the body of the story, though, they, they did say her son said she was murdered, as if perhaps she still died another way and her son's just making stuff up. Vivian Silver was brutally murdered, by Hamas terrorists, and the headline should have reflected nothing less than that, yet CTV deliberately tried to minimize this. Headline writing, I mean, it's an art form, and in the world of social media, it's more important than ever. Headlines, they need to communicate the most important element of a story, and they have to grab the attention of prospective readers. The CTV headline did neither. Legacy media has been reticent about publishing anything that might paint Hamas in a bad light lately for whatever reason. Look, Hamas is a terrorist organization. This isn't a matter of my opinion. That's the status that was conferred upon that group by the government of Canada 20 years ago. I mean, even if they weren't formally declared being a terrorist organization, anybody seeing the horrific atrocities carried out by Hamas can understand the terrorist nature of the group. Or at least most people can. Every murder carried out by Hamas is tragic. But the case of Vivian Silver, 
That one holds extra significance. You see, Silver was a peace activist who supported the concept of Palestine in a two-state solution. She worked to bring Gazan citizens to Israeli clinics for treatment across the border. And she even organized protests against Israel for its actions in the West Bank. She was on the side of Palestinians. In return for her goodwill, Hamas rewarded her by butchering her and violating her remains so badly it took five weeks to identify them. Semitic people attach a special sanctity to the remains of their deceased. That's why Hamas goes out of its way to desecrate the bodies of their victims whenever possible. So why did Hamas murder one of its allies? Well, the answer is pretty simple. They killed her because she was Jewish. It's as simple as that. She was not human in their eyes. Their mandate is to kill every Jew in Israel, and they make no exceptions. And again, this isn't opinion. It's right in the bloody Hamas mandate. It's online. You can read it for yourself. She was a kafir who must be slaughtered along with every other Jew from babies to senior citizens. The murder of silver shines a light, though, on, on just how extreme Hamas is. It shows just how insulting it was when Canada's foreign affairs minister, G.I. Melanie Jolie, vacuously said Hamas should be at the table and negotiated with. You can't negotiate with a group that fanatical and that violent. What common ground could possibly be reached? You know, well, you'll only kill half the Jews? Come on, Jolie. Any competent minister of foreign affairs would realize this. Silver's vicious murder drove home how idiotic Jolie's utterances were, and Canada's subsidized legacy media never wants to rattle the tree of the government that pays its bills. Little wonder, some hope the killing of Silver just wouldn't be noted and would soon be forgotten. Well, we're not going to let that happen. Legacy media has been indulging domestic fanatics when it refuses to call out Canadian peace marches, when the organizers of the marches can't chant the genocidal phrase, from, river, from the river to the sea. And it's a statement to call for the extermination of the Jews of Israel, folks. Legacy media denied and questioned uh, the claims that, uh, uh, ah, my teleprompter froze. I got a lot. <laughs> Either way, uh, let's get down to where it is in my raw stuff. Uh, Legacy media, there we go. <laughs> it's, uh, let's see, even now, media's reporting on the alleged civilian casualty numbers coming from Gaza and sourcing the Gazan Health Authority for them. The Gazan Health Authority is run by Hamas, you guys. Do you think an organization willing to behead and burn babies might be willing to lie on their press releases? Legacy media still takes them at their word. Israel's gone to great lengths to offer a reality check to media outlets in denial of the Hamas atrocities. They've presented screenings to journalists and politicians around the world depicting Hamas terrorists gleefully slaughtering Jewish families while bragging about their conquests. This isn't uh, Israeli-created footage. This is the footage that Hamas themselves took. While they rampage, they're proud of it. And even with this evidence, many within the legacy media are reticent about condemning Hamas. The CBC has banned the use of the word terrorist. Yes, they banned the use of the word terrorist in their reporting. Again, just despite Hamas actually being a terrorist group, as clear a terrorist group as you'll ever find. Why would any organization try to sugarcoat that fact? The, the manip manipulation of information by legacy media to understate uh, the actions of Hamas and lend credibility to the terrorists is unforgivable. Now, I'm not rooting for the deaths or ends of Palestinians or Israelis. I don't harbor that kind of hatred. I am counting the days, though, to when legacy media dies the death it deserves. No, not literal death of reporters or people. It's just an obsolete institution beholden to a government with its own agenda that it's time that it went away. And when you see crap like this that came out of CTV and we see the crap that comes out of CBC, it's time for these organizations to go. So, yes... Uh, Rest, uh, Miss Silver, you know, your memory be a blessing. 
And I'm sorry that uh, your, your passing had to be turned into a political football like that. But unfortunately, uh, you know, there's some people who'd rather we didn't even talk about it. All right, let's get on with other news and talk with our news editor, Dave Naylor. Hey, Dave, what's going on out there? Oh, hell of a lot, Corey. Don't don't you hate it when the teleprompter goes down, though? I do. Hey, I, you know, it, it shows people that's how I can stare at it and read their end. Honest, guys, I write my own stuff. I really do. But when I want to get it out there concisely, it's, it's better when I get that stream. But I appreciate you hanging in there with me to get my thoughts out. So you, you mean you didn't have the entire seven-minute rant memorized? No, I'm afraid not. The rest of my show, though, I promise it is impromptu. I just go with it. But uh, that opening monologue, yeah, I kind of got dependent on that teleprompter. There you go. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it these days, Corey, but uh, I'm sure enjoying the Indian summer out here, eh? I mean, it's mid-November, and uh, we haven't gone below minus eight or nine, and double temperate, double-digit temperatures for next week. It's glorious. It is. Every day without snow now is just a gift. I mean, we're going to get it. We'll get it eventually. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, it's nice to think we've at least got through half of November unscathed. So, yeah, as you mentioned, Corey, insane news days. Uh, uh, it's just uh, seems to be going on around the clock. Uh, right now, our website is uh, leading off with our column from our opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. Uh, an interesting headline, the unbearable leftist link between climate change and killing babies. And uh, yes, it's it's about the... Uh, uh, the crazy situation that's going on in uh, in the Middle East right now. Our Saskatchewan Bureau Chief, uh, Christopher Oldcord, has got a good story on uh, the, the Saskatchewan government's putting up homeless peoples in hotels. One of the hotels they're staying in, Corey, is owned by the Saskatchewan Party MLA, uh, and apparently they are charging double uh, to stay at the hotel for migrants. So some, somebody's uh, making uh, some money. A hmm. uh, fearless leader uh, is in uh, Vancouver, was in Vancouver last night, where uh, pro-Palestine uh, supporters chased him out of not, uh, not one, but two restaurants. In fact, uh, Vancouver police had to send uh, 100 officers down to Chinatown to protect them. Uh, I'm almost at the point of feeling sorry for him, Corey. Almost. <laughs> almost yeah. You can't even go out for a meal anymore uh, because of the the passions uh, the passions out there. But uh, he's currently uh, in his brand new uh, multi-billion dollar plane heading to the APAC summit down in San Francisco. So let's hope he gets through the next uh, uh, 24 or 48 hours without uh, embarrassing the country. Uh, other good stuff we've got, uh, Jen Hodgson's got a shocking story out of uh, Las Vegas where eight high schoolers have been charged with swarming and murdering uh, a classmate that they were bullying. A uh, former youth teacher at a Calgary church has been charged with uh, uh, historical sexual assaults against a seven-year-old. And uh, you, we've had some shocking news, Corey, in the last week, uh, both in Edmonton, where an 11-year-old uh, was killed in gang violence, and uh, in Calgary, where a 14-year-old was arrested as a hitman in a deadly uh, uh, gang shooting. So our Jen Hodgson, again, has, uh, uh, has got a story up there about what police are doing across the country to try and liaise and uh, and uh, come up with, uh, try and find a solution to this uh, bloodshed on Western Canadian streets. Uh, still to come, Corey, I'm just about to publish a story on the uh, the Manning panel. Uh, you remember uh, Preston Manning was paid a uh, heck of a lot of money, quarter million dollars to to lead a panel into the uh, 
look at what the Alberta government uh, did wrong and what they did right during the pandemic. That report is out uh, today and uh, we'll have the story up momentarily. And a group of people have got together in Alberta, Corey, to say that they don't think the NDP is a very good brand anymore. So they're setting out a uh, uh, committee. Uh, they're going to try and look into whether or not changing the name of the NDP uh, will make them more electable in Alberta. So uh, that'll be interesting. Well, so, yeah, that's uh, that's just this morning, Corey. we got a whole afternoon to go. Yeah, there's there's plenty to cover. And uh, as I said, you know, summertime is sometimes you're searching for the stories. Now we're searching for the space to put them all almost. Exactly. And the reporters to do them. Well, that we have, but uh, we can always use more. Right on. Well, thanks, Dave. I'll let you get back to sifting and sorting through all those stories, and uh, I'll talk to you after the show. Thanks, Corey. All right. That was our news, ed- news editor, Dave Naylor. As you heard, yes, loads of stories. It's just piling up out there. There is so much to cover locally, around the world, around the province, around the city, you name it. As well, you could find my opening monologue because I turn those into columns and I stick them up there so you can read the unstumbling version of it. Just read it with my voice in your head. You got to go to Western Standard Online, westernstandard.news slash membership, though you got to take out a membership in it. I know it's a paywall, $9.99 a month, $100 a year, guys, it's, it's worth it. And that helps us have those reporters all across the country to cover those things. And we do try to maintain some balance. We try to hit on what's important. I mean, something interesting with, with Christopher Oldcorn, who works very hard out there in the, the prairies and uh, we're covering stuff in Saskatchewan and, and Manitoba. As you pointed out, yeah, we've got a pretty scandalous deal going on with the Sask Party MLA. It uh, looks like perhaps some inside dealing on getting uh, migrants staying in his own hotel at, at inflated rates. Look, we tend to be uh, editorially uh, something of a conservative-leaning publication, but hey, guys, when conservatives screw up, we'll report on that too, because that's our job. We hold them to account. A free media has to be able to do that. Now, unfortunately, subsidized media is afraid to hold the government to account. That's part of why we see such weakness going on with our legacy media outlets. They are reliant on the the generosity of Prime Minister Trudeau to pay their bills rather than being innovative and uh, developing new markets as we have. But there's lots going on, lots of stories, dozens of them. And and, uh, we're going to talk about as many as we can as we get through things today. But if you subscribed already, guys, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, get on there. Take one out. Hey, Christmas is approaching. Buy a subscription for someone else. Buy a subscription for somebody who doesn't like us. Have some fun with it. You can talk about it over the Christmas dinner. It all works out, guys. All right. Well, let's get on. I see my my guest waiting in the, the lobby there, and I'm eager to bring her in. It's Michelle Sterling of the Friends of Science. Uh, let's talk about a, a, a battle when it comes to energy, I guess, and just back and forth and the ongoing uh, attacks on, on fossil fuels. The the old cop gang, COP, is, is out to hit us again. Let, let's see what uh, Michelle's got to share with us. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, always glad to. Like I said, we're overdue. It's been quite a while since I've had you on, so uh, I, I appreciate you coming on today. Pleasure. So yeah. uh, you guys have just put out a, another, well, you, you, there's always lots of stuff coming out, but a report on the, the latest plans from, from a COP to, to shut down the uh, petrochemicals and the fossil fuels. That's right. It's called COP28 Dystopia. Um, and COP is the Conference of the Parties. That means all the countries that are signatory to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which happened back in 1992 in Rio. Um and so they're still plugging away at it. And over all those years, carbon dioxide emissions, despite vowing 27 times that they were going to reduce them, 
have gone up um, 60%, I believe. So we have this new report on our blog, uh, COP28 Dystopia, the coming COP28 effort to phase out fossil fuel production. And of course, uh, this is ironic because it's going to be held in uh, the UAE, which is uh, a fossil fuel production country. <laughs> so, you know, the thing is that uh, we have a lot of activists in Canada. Uh, there's actually a COP28 petition from the um, Environmental Defense. Hey, Canada, oil and gas don't belong at a climate change conference. Kick big polluters out. So they're actually asking Stephen Gilbeau to kick polluters out of the Canadian pavilion. So they don't even want to have the Pathways Alliance uh, events staged there. They, this is, you know, these events are paid for by taxpayers and should be representative of all taxpayers, not just the climate clique. And also, um, oil, gas, you know, that is one of the biggest revenue earners for Canada. It pays the bills for healthcare, for education, for um, all the um, services that we need in this country. We need revenue and. Yet these guys who actually just live at the public trough, most of them are heavily subsidized by governments with grants and consultation contracts, with tax subsidies, because a lot of them are charities. All these guys are trying to shut down the industry. And uh, the same at uh, COP28, they're uh, trying to do the, um, the same thing. They're saying that... Um, you know, Robert's saying countries like China, India, the Russian Federation, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Iraq all see fossil fuel production as central to their economic development and energy security. So, you know, if you think about this in terms of geopolitics, us trying to go along with climate change targets that will cripple our country, it's really just giving the advantage to all these competitor nations and putting us completely at risk. Well, yeah, Canada is always the one who wants to play the Boy Scout. It seems we're the only ones ready to shut down our own resources and tighten our belts and starve a little more and subsidize battery plants while we pay lip service and indulge all of these nations that are expanding their production and, and feeding world demand. It, it's just absurd. But uh, do you think there's any chance any of that's going to change under the current administration? You said people like Gilbo or Trudeau, this is what they've wrapped themselves around. This is their 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 prime mandate now. Well, we just had our uh, 20th annual climate science event at the Red and White Club, and Robert Lyman spoke there on when will climate policy hit the wall. And uh, you can see these events online. Uh, and he basically says he doesn't think that there will be a turnaround, but he does see that the, the public are feeling the costs and the burdens of these crazy climate policies and lots of people are getting a lot more energy literate and they're seeing that you know it's ridiculous for canada which puts out perhaps 1.5 percent of the world's emissions to try and meet these ridiculous targets when countries like china you know china emits in one year uh, in one month, sorry, what canada emits in a year and i think the new calculation a year and eight months so whatever we do is completely useless. So you can see Robert Lyman's presentation on our main website. Just go to past events and it'll be right at the top. And also we have a presentation by Dr. Ian Clark showing that carbon dioxide is not the driver of climate change. So 
all these measures are totally useless. They're not about pollution. They're not about reducing noxious pollutants in the air. We've been doing that since the 1970s very successfully. They're about crippling our economy. Well, and everybody wants to save the world till they have to pay the bill. I, and we are seeing a little bit of that in Canada. I mean, the Maritimes were happy to support Trudeau, happy to support the Liberals, uh, happy to ignore Alberta and the West when we, uh, you know, raised concerns about the carbon tax until the time came for them to pay the carbon tax. And then all of a sudden, whoa, this is unfair. This is terribly wrong. And uh, Justin Trudeau scrambled over and basically stepped in it by making an exception for them on the carbon tax, but still leaving those nasty Westerners paying that bill. Right. And, you know, uh, heat pumps, with the promised free heat pumps, you know, that means free from the government means that we pay for it. We are the sole pool of money for the government, we taxpayers. Um, but heat pumps just are not really suited to Canada at all. And some of our retired professional engineers like to do side research. And one of them um, called a shop in Red Deer. They said that uh, they have not sold one heat pump in the Red Deer area, that if a customer was to request one, they would insist that it be part of a package with natural gas backup. And the top of the line unit was $22,000. The conventional heat pump, not cold unit, cold climate unit costs about $10,000. And a new high efficiency furnace costs about 6,500 installed. So um, one of their specialists in Calgary has a demo and he found that it only works in the shoulder seasons when temperatures are minus five to plus 15 Celsius. So you have to have also a green energy audit of your house to get the subsidy that costs about 800. And if you pass the audit, you would be eligible for maybe a grant of uh, $5,000. But I understand you also have to upgrade your electrical panel, which is another few thousand dollars. So, you know, the problem is they're asking us to flip and convert all of this installed infrastructure that works very well. You know, and I think the thing we have to think about is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, that, that's it. And, and we're a nation. I mean, we have to have, <laughs> we have to have energy. It's a matter of survival up here. And, this, this uh, obsession with electrifying everything. I mean, it really puts, I, I think not enough Canadians understand, puts Western Canadians on the spot. We don't have a St. Lawrence River to generate energy with. We don't have nuclear facilities to generate electricity with. We need to have fossil fuels for this. And, you know, as we shut out the fossil fuels without having the ability to transfer to another form of energy, we're going to ironically, as one of the most energy rich regions in the world, uh, fall into energy poverty, which could be outright dangerous. Yeah, we're going to end up like Venezuela. No kidding, like Venezuela, because they first started tinkering with the electrical grid and everything went downhill from there. So we have an explainer online called Alberta's Electricity Challenge. And see, most people don't understand that electricity is a secondary source of power. So it has to be generated by something. And as you pointed out, in Ontario... They have nuclear plants and they have hydro. And in Quebec, they have lots of hydro. In BC, they have lots of hydro. But hydro isn't everywhere and most of the good spots are taken. Not to mention, it takes about 20 to 30 years to build um, these dams. So, uh, you know, you need the uh, dispatchable power is what it's called. 
Uh, this is like coal or natural gas. And in Alberta's case, we've mostly switched over to natural gas, but it's almost like your gas stove. You know, you can turn it up or down as you need, and it responds very rapidly. You need enough dispatchable power to back up all the renewables on the grid because they have the unfortunate tendency when the sun goes down, plunk, it's dark and the solar doesn't work. When the wind stops, plunk, the wind doesn't work anymore. So you need dispatchable power that you can rev up immediately to uh, cover off that gap. Otherwise, you end up in blackouts like what happened in Texas a, a couple of years ago. And hundreds of people died because of that. Hundreds of people's houses were ruined because their pipes broke. Uh, people suffered tremendously. So, you know, we cannot afford to be in that situation. If that happened in Texas, where they never get to minus 40, think what could happen on the prairies. Well, yeah, and then the costs. Let's say, for example, fine, you, you wanted to be a good little Boy Scout for Prime Minister Trudeau, and you went through the whole process, and you managed to get approved, and you put in and spent all the money on a heat pump. You still had to keep the natural gas, because your insurance company will drop you if you don't. And uh, everybody who looks at a natural gas bill, you look at it, okay, I've reduced my natural gas use by 80%. But that isn't 80% of your bill anyways. Most of your bill is all the riders and the, the other stuff within there. You're only saving a small fraction of the bill. The rest are fixed costs that you're going to be paying on top of the extra electricity to run your heat pump. Like you're not winning on any level when you do that. Yeah, and that electricity issue is very important because um, a lot of people have said that once they install the heat pump, Yes, their natural gas bill dropped, but their electricity bill went up. And if we continue adding renewables, that's what will happen because every place across Europe where they've added a lot of renewables, power prices have gone either three times to nine times the cost of conventional power. Um, again, because it, the, uh, I think it was in Alberta, one of our professional engineers told us that it cost a million dollars a megawatt to integrate wind and solar to the grid. Now, that was a few years ago, maybe it's a bit less now because there's more infrastructure built out, but you know, there's a lot of integrating the direct current power that's generated by wind and solar into the alternating current power of the grid. So it's not just a simple plug-in uh, and wind and solar may be free, but capturing it and connecting it to the grid is not. It's very expensive. Well, that's it. Yeah. It, uh, just to use an analogy, uh, you know, uh, when I used to own my pub, I used to scream at people coming in, all those bicyclists all the time who'd want free water, fill their water bottles, drink water, use my toilets, and not buy anything. And uh, one guy got on my case and said, But it's water, man. It's free. It should be a human right. So, whoa, okay. You want free water, you go out to the creek and you drink your fill. Go to town, have your best. You want treated, safe, clean water. That's a commodity and that's in my place and you're going to pay for it. Uh, wind is blowing around for free out there and the sun's shining for free, but there's a whole lot of resources to turn that into power that can be converted to something you plug into the wall. And people seem to overlook that cost at, at times. Right. And, you know, Martin Olzinski from the University of Calgary, he's a law professor. He just wrote an op-ed in the Globe and Mail where he mocked Alberta and said, you know, that Premier Smith was um, was at uh, standing up for fossil fuel uh, production in Alberta because of the electrical issues. Well, you can read the Alberta Electric System Operator um, 2022 Market Statistics Report, which came out in March of 2023. 
And they cite in there very clearly that there were seven instances of grid level three alerts last fall. Four of them were in December when it was um, all across the, the province. Environment Canada had it completely marked in red for extreme cold, extreme danger. And uh, you can see that all four, all seven of those instances of grid level three alerts, meaning that there's an imminent blackout or rolling blackout, um, like very imminent, um, those uh, all were affected by a sudden collapse of renewables. So, you know, this is not something that Premier Smith or the government have made up. It's a real risk. And we have, we, I think we still have 1,000 megawatts less dispatchable power today than we had in 2014 but we have about 5,000 megawatts more unreliable, unpredictable renewables on the grid. And that's why we're at this very crucial point. The other thing is, you know, some of the um, energy producers are doing test models. Like I think at Shepherd, they're doing a carbon capture storage test to see if it works on their uh, gas plant but you don't scale that up overnight. So in a 12 year period, we can't scale it up. And if the federal government is planning to uh, impose criminal penalties on investors and plant operators, well, who in their right mind will invest? So what that means is that we will be facing more blackouts and uh, it's not propping up fossil fuel producers. It's keeping people alive and safe. Yeah, and they're, they're chilling the entire investment climate. It's just another one of their strategies, essentially. And uh, before I let you go, then, I mean, quickly, what, what strategies can we do, though? How can we stop this? I mean, this is the Titanic rolling towards us or, or you know, floating, but it, you can't stop it on a dime. Uh, I mean, aside from changing the government, what else can we do? Well, I think, first of all, it's really important that people get involved and write to their political leaders or their representatives, you know, this uh, COP28 um, um, petition, for instance, it's written and signed by a whole bunch of these environmental groups. And what they do, they have thousands of followers and they do these point and click emails. We never do that. That's not our mandate. But that means that individuals, you have to pester the people in charge with your point of view, whatever it may be, you know, maybe you disagree with me, that's fine, but make sure that they know what you think and what you want. Because I think it was in the net zero consultation, they said that they got 30,000 emails and uh, something like 25,000 were from five groups. So you can imagine David Suzuki Foundation, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we have to motivate people to get involved and be more active and tell people what you want, what you need. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's never anything to be lost in becoming more politically engaged and, and reaching out to the, the folks in charge out there. So before I let you go, I mean, your website has got a pile of resources on there. It's loaded. You referenced a couple of them. Uh, where can we direct people to find out more? Uh, to uh, friendsofscience.org. And we're also on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, um, we're on Instagram. Uh, we just got on to Gab. Um, 
and LinkedIn. So uh, we have material all over the place. We have a blog that's very active and um, we like to engage with people. So please go online and talk with us. And if you want, we'd love to have a donation. We're in our 20th year of operation. So, you know, you could send an e-transfer for $20 to contact at friendsofscience.org. And that would be a really nice birthday present or anniversary present for us. Great. Yes, you are funded by small donations and it's good to remind people of that and it's important. So th thank you very much for the work you guys do and, and for coming on to talk to us today, Michelle. Uh, I'll let you go and uh, hopefully lots of folks get out there and, and see how they can become active to, to stop that Titanic. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks. So that was Michelle Sterling again of Friends of Science. Look them up, guys. Like I said, all sorts of resources. Great Twitter account or X, I guess, as it is now. And because uh, we, we need to come into it well-armed. And she's absolutely right. It might feel like you're throwing your email or comment or whatever when you send it out to a politician into the ether, but you're not. They do watch that. Their aides watch that. And they can sift between those you know, boilerplate ones coming from the advocacy groups and real ones, genuine ones from people coming in. Uh, but you can't allow those advocacy groups to just keep dominating the inbox. So we we do have to step up. And, and as Michelle's saying, we can be more principled. We're not trying to make some sort of cut and paste email. Just encourage people, speak up, reach out to them, because that does affect them when they're making their discussions in caucus, when they're doing their votes in, in legislatures or parliament. We've got to keep trying. It sometimes feels like so it feels like we're losing, but we can win some of them sometimes too. Just to show, I mean, that the fools we're we're dealing with too. This is a uh, from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation pointing out 1.5 million dollars was spent uh, on hotels during a during UN climate conference in Montreal. One and a half million dollars for Canadian delegates in Montreal at a climate conference. Yeah, and that's a local one. How much are we going to spend going to the UAE? Like Michelle was talking about, why do we have to send hundreds of delegates to these things? The hypocrisy of these guys is galling. It's just a club for them. They're having fun. They stay in luxury hotels. They bounce around the planet. They spend and emit more and pollute more than any one of the normal ones among us on the ground can do in a year. And then they virtue signal and tell us to tighten our belts. They say, it's your fault that the, the, the climate may be changing because you wanted to take a family vacation somewhere and take an airplane or wanted to use a more cost-effective form of heat for your home so you can afford to put your kids through post-secondary education. That's your fault because you're selfish and greedy. Now, don't mind me while I fly across the planet first class to stay in a luxury hotel for a week to talk about the climate when I could have done the whole thing from a Zoom meeting from home. They're full of it. They're hypocrites. They aren't about saving the earth. They're about patting their own fat asses and wallets. That's what the bottom line is with a whole lot of this, guys. But we do have to speak up or they will win. And uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Let's see. You know, since I got the CTF, though, up uh, from Franco Terrazano, uh, he, he coupled that in with Toronto. They spent $33,000 over the, the last three years to put Toronto public health branding on crack pipes. Yes, I wish I was making this up. But the, the enablement crowd, the enablement cult, and that's what they are. They're a cult. They want to keep ad addicts addicted. They somehow feed, feel if we can just feed them enough drugs, they'll somehow come off of the things. So they give them free crack pipes. And this is where it shows, again, the profound stupidity of this cult, when it shows the cultish nature of these, these enablement people. Why are you giving them crack pipes? What I, I I can understand the rationale, especially when, when hepatitis was going around, HIV has been going around, sharing needles was a big area, spreading it from person to person and among addicts. 
but it wasn't spreading through crack pipes, guys. That wasn't a problem. That wasn't an issue. So why the hell are we giving them crack pipes? Why are you making it easier to smoke meth and crack and now fentanyl that they smoke in those pipes? Why? What are you saving them from? What are you making them safer from? Nothing. But to actually be so stupid too, but to actually spend 33,000 more tax dollars, how many treatment beds would that have facilitated for addicts? so that you can put the brand Toronto Public Health on the crack pipe. You're trying to make them collector's items, you know? Are you gonna put them in different colors? Maybe you can have your little wall of crack pipes in your cardboard box down on the alley behind you to show the ones you got, like McDonald's collectible cups. Is that what it's gonna come to you, peckerheads? It's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And that's what these clowns are doing. That's where your money is going. These are the leaders telling you to tighten your belt, watch your wallet, so they can do stuff like this. So one of the things Dave mentioned too, you know, uh, get, let's get back to Prime Minister Pinhead, Justin Trudeau. And uh, yeah, he got swarmed uh, at trying to dine out in, in Vancouver, as Dave said, almost feeling sorry for him. And uh, they had to bring out 100 Vancouver police officers to kind of get control. I guess he got kind of chased out of two different restaurants. Now, I, and I know some of the commenters will disagree with me, but that's fine. I, I don't like that. I don't like it when... Political leaders, no matter who they are, are really chased around and intimidated. I, I do believe in open expression and protests and everything else, but when it starts turning into mobs, and that's what this is turning into is mobs, that sort of control is dangerous, and uh, we have better means to influence our political leaders than that, even if it's Trudeau. We need to work our butts off to get Trudeau out of the prime minister's chair, but running around screaming and painting windows and chasing him around restaurants isn't going to do it. But it also shows the fruits of Ju Justin Trudeau's attempted appeasement. Because of course, this whole thing has been over uh, the, the Israel-Gaza issue going on. And Trudeau is making nobody happy because the nitwit won't take a solid stance. He's trying to kind of walk the line on both sides and all he's doing is infuriating everybody on both sides. Show some principles, Justin. I know which side I'd rather you take. I certainly make that clear, but just show him. But he's incapable of leadership. He's gormless, he's a wimp. And I mean, so he goes out, and it was a statement the other day, and he's, you know, he, he brought the ire of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of, of Israel, and I tell you, Netanyahu's no sweetheart. He's a, a you know, a, a rough player, and he's been in there a long time, and there's some nasty politics going on. But he's got valid points, and he is standing up for the defense of his, his country, as he should. And when Justin comes up and gives this crap about, uh, you know, what, making sure that Israel doesn't... Uh, you know, uh, what does he say? The human tragedy is, is heart-wrenching in Gaza, especially the suffering they see around Al-Shifa Hospital. And then starts uh, basically lecturing Israel, saying they have to restrain themselves and back off. Oh, Justin. It's kind of been shown enough times that Hamas, Hamas, the terrorists, the ones who flew in, the ones who kidnapped hundreds of people, the ones who murdered thousands of people, the ones who cut the heads off babies, the ones who burned the corpses have set up their base in these hospitals. Now, Israel could have turned those hospitals to dust with no risk to any of their soldiers. It would have been very easy. They have the means, they have the ability. They haven't done so. They are not using the maximum force available at them to do this. Because believe it or not, despite what some clowns say, Israel is not a genocidal state and they don't want to slaughter civilians. The fact that they can't just walk into these hospitals and prove Hamas isn't there. Why can't they do that? Why, the soldiers are now there outside on the ground. Why can't they just walk in? Well, it's because the hospitals are returning fire. How many average hospitals have the capability to return fire? 
They're packed full of terrorists, you guys. Yes, there are innocent patients in there. There are innocent citizens in there. And there's a bunch of cowardly terrorists hiding behind them. People talk about the laws of the land, the laws of war, that moron Trudeau tried to lecture us on, saying that, yes, there are laws and rules about attacking hospitals, but there are also in those same laws and rules, rules about not using those hospitals as a base for military operations that annuls the, uh, the exception you got as a place of treatment to, you know, stop you from receiving fire. So either way, this has been going on. And uh, yeah, Justin said, use maximum restraint. Well, Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, came out and just eviscerated Trudeau on X of all things. You know, it showed on a couple of levels of things. For one, that, uh, you know, of course, he's got no uh, respect for Trudeau whatsoever uh, and and just ripped Trudeau's case apart. But also, he's not going to bother with a phone call to Trudeau or a formal statement or anything. No, you know what? I'll take two minutes on X and just rip down this this sock, uh, cute sock wearing moron because that's all the time he's worth dedicating to. There's no respect for him. That's world leader to world leader. No, he's going to actually just tag him on X, you know, formerly Twitter. That's the respect Trudeau commands overseas. Just, just don't, don't, don't step into the international issues, Trudeau. You're not smart enough. It doesn't work. Plus, here you are, you, you try to pander to the pro-Hamas crowd. You try to pander or even to be generous to the pro-Palestine crowd, right? You know, they're chanting from the river to the sea and they're chanting just to the Jews and so on. But either way, you try to pander to them. And what did that get you? Nothing. They're still chasing you around. They're, they're, they're still chasing you out of restaurants. It hasn't done you any good, has it, Justin? No, you're not winning, whatever that might be. And uh, yeah, you know, some of the talk, I see some people talking about KFC. Yeah, it's been back and forth. I guess KFCs have been targeted. Did somebody find any little shred of a link of a business to Israel? And the uh, the pro-Hamas groups have been out and targeting those businesses. You know, an analogy I put on X the other day, because they keep saying, we're just anti-Zionist. Oh, BS, you're anti-Jew. Especially when you target businesses that are owned by Jews. And guys, this has been done before. If you're not familiar with it, look up Crystal Knot. Look up what happened. Look how it started in Germany, pre-World War II, the big rumblings. They started by targeting Jewish businesses. And that's what they're doing here in Canada. And they're shooting bullets at Jewish schools. You know, they they, they firebombed a synagogue. This is not anti-Zionism, guys. This is anti-Jew. And Justin isn't calling it out nearly strongly enough, and our state isn't standing up enough on it. But either way, in Calgary, I mean, or, uh, sorry, I, I sidetracked myself. The analogy I wanted to point out, I, I am often critical of the Chinese Communist Party. I'm critical of their actions. I'm critical of stuff they do. Now, would it be appropriate for me to go out and spray paint the windows of Chinese restaurants? Would it be appropriate for me to gather 100 people and when I spot a Chinese person to just mob around them and start screaming at them for the actions of the Chinese government? Of course not. Well, that's what these assholes are doing with Jews right now. So why is that acceptable? In fact, it's not. It's not. And had it been any other race, any other race, we would have seen the full force of the law coming down on that. If you were chasing people around uh, based on their color, whether they're black or Asian or any of those, it would be hate crimes going on. But somehow when it comes to Jews, we're just going to be quiet about it. Uh, Angry Canadians say, how do you even know that a business is run by a Jew? That's weird. Well, yeah, there's some cafes and things where they... They, they, they advertise that fact. They'll serve traditional, you know, Jewish cuisine or, or just even the names of the owners. I mean, they went after Indigo because Heather Reisman, Canadian-born, owns it. And she's a leftist. 
but they went after Indigo because, why? Because she's Jewish, not anti-Zionist, anti-Jew. Let's call it out for what it is. They're getting sick of it. In Calgary, I mean, we, we saw in Washington the other day, 200,000 people came out in support of Israel. You know, they were Jews and non-Jews alike. Came out and overwhelmed the hate crowds, overwhelmed the hate mobs, because that's what they are, and uh, managed to hold a fantastic... And you know the difference, too? No spray-painted windows, no smashed glass, no rioting, no tear gas, no attacking police. Unlike the hate mobs who come out with the pro-Palestine group that make a mess that threaten people, that leads to arrests, that leads to uh, vandalism every time those jerks come out in the streets. Well, Calgary tried. They tried to have... A group, there was a group, Jewish organization, wanted to bring about people to uh, uh, stand up, you know, speak out for uh, for the release of the hostage, hostages to try and support Israel. And the Calgary police warned them. They tried to follow the rules. Yeah, that's almost the mistake they made. They tried to call City Hall to get a permit so you could be on the steps of City Hall and, and uh, uh, you know, do, do, do their protest out there or, or support demonstration. And the police said, we don't know if we can keep you safe. We strongly suggest you don't do it. Like they basically said, you're going to get attacked by the mob of Jew haters. You see, here's, it's a Soninko, kiss my ass. There's a commenter, Zionists are the Nazi version of Jews. You know what? When you're going to call a Jew a Nazi, I'm going to block you from the comments. How's that sound? Because I'm sick of that crap. I'm sick to hell of it. Uh, it, it, when, it, it, it just crosses the line. When you make a statement like that, you're showing the anti-Semitism. And I'm tired as hell of it. So, guys, the, either way, the... Uh, the, the protesters, the, the pro-Israel ones, had to reschedule, had to leave. And what happened? A bunch of the Jew-hating pro-Hamas ones came out and blocked sea trains and caused mayhem and havoc in downtown Calgary. And uh, it's wrong. It's wrong. we got to stand up, guys. we got to stand up. This shouldn't be happening out here. And I'm tired of that term. I'm tired of people replacing Jew with Zionist and thinking it hides your friggin' anti-Semitism. I won't put up with it. And it certainly won't in my comment scroll. Either way, I'll leave it there, guys. There'll be lots more to discuss next week. And uh, I do appreciate the uh, reasonable ones coming in to uh, discuss things on here. Uh, make sure to tune into the pipeline a little later and, uh, you know, keep watching the Western Standard for the news as it comes out. Thanks, and we will see you next time at this time. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You've become a member. It's absolutely worth every penny.